What's going on, everyone? My name is uh, my name's Ryan. I am a Covenant community member here at the Well. I'm also part of the Southeast Community Group, and I get the privilege of reading uh, our First Peter text this afternoon. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, thank you, brother. Hey, I loved hearing some of y'all responding to the word. The word of God is good. Uh, There's good truth in it. So, y'all ready? Good, good. Hey, every once in a while, I just kind of want to come up here and do something uh, absurd, but I chicken out like every time. Uh, Like, if you're ready to hear about Jesus, make some noise. And I just want to see how y'all are going to respond to something absurd like that. So one day it's coming. Be ready for it, all right? Uh, Hey, we're continuing in 1 Peter today. uh, And Peter slaps you. That means it's really good, by the way, if y'all don't know, okay? Uh, He is hammering us with gospel truth after gospel truth. And uh, to be real, I'm excited about what the Lord is doing uh, in our church. And I know that we're not really like in a spot yet, and we're kind of exiling through in a way. And uh, I believe that the Lord has really good stuff planned for us. And um, I'm seeing some of it unfold. And a lot of this is actually Peter's fault. Uh, As I said in week one, uh, if Peter and I were disciples together, we would have thrown hands, y'all. I'm confident of it, okay? I'm also confident that we would have been boys afterwards, all right? Uh, Because, man, Peter be hitting. So quick recap, uh, week one. Peter was essentially like, hey, do you know how much you have because of Jesus, right? Like you styling, fam, all right? You got everything that you need because of Christ. And so you should bless God because Jesus is worthy, was his first point, because your suffering is not worthless, because glory is coming and you are fulfilling mystery. 
And then last week, Yusuf showed us how we are to live as the holy people of God, not our holiness proving our worth uh, to the gospel, but rather we receive the gospel and then we pursue holiness as a part of that process. And Peter picks it up this week and just goes ham. So y'all ready? Cool, cool. Okay, so Peter, he picks back up and he calls for holiness and this response to the gospel, and he picks it up in verse 4 saying, as you come to him. Now note, this is a sanctification process. He's writing to Christians, but these Christians continue to come to Jesus. It's a present tense verb, meaning it's happening now and it's happening continually. Christians, we keep coming to Jesus over and over and over again. It is a part of our sanctification. In fact, the gospel is needed monthly, is needed weekly, is needed daily. The gospel is needed hour by hour and minute by minute. We do not graduate from the gospel. We grow into the gospel. In fact, just like the sacrifices in the Old Testament were continual because of our sin, the sacrifice in the New Testament is a one-time event because Christ was perfect, but our coming is continual because of our sin. Y'all tracking with that? You see, they kept making these sacrifices because they kept messing up, and we keep going back to the sacrifice, even in our sin, as we come to him, there is sanctification. And so we're not perfect. That's important for this text. But when we come, we are welcome by our God. And then Peter just can't really help himself. He breaks out into this glorious truth and this charismatic praise in some way. And he starts speaking all of these wonderful truths about Christ and about us as Christians. And the first thing he says is that we are a spiritual house. He says all of these stones, or for our context, you could think bricks here, okay? All of these bricks are being placed together, and then they make up from all of those bricks the household of God. And so, note, you are the temple of God, or the house of God, and the temple is the place where God dwelled. Ah, I don't think you combine those two sentences there, right? You are the temple of God. You are the house of God, and the temple of God is the place where God chose to dwell amongst his people and to meet with his people. That is now you. You are the house of God. And this has beautiful implications for every area of our life and for every area of our discipleship. Think about even our core convictions as a church. Underneath this idea of disciple and exalt disciple sin, we say we want to reach the lost, We said we want to equip the saints, and we said we want to live in community. And so think about this analogy as stones and how this analogy speaks to even these three principles. Part of evangelism and the glory of it or the sharing of our faith is that when we are a part of leading someone to faith, we are a part of building the temple of God. You know, just like the boring sections in the Old Testament that you skip over when they're just building things, they ain't just building, y'all. They're making a place for God to dwell. And when you and I are a part of leading people into the faith, your witnessing is making a part for the glory of God to be more clearly displayed in and through his creation on earth. This is a part of something beautiful. We ain't napping this afternoon, is we? We awake? Okay, listen, this brick that is being added when we see people come into the faith is the part of the building of the temple of God that God might fully dwell amongst his people, and we get to be a part of that process. 
Or you think about it in terms of uh, discipleship as we build into one another, equipping the saints and really strengthening that stone in a lot of ways. The, the discipleship is not just a service to an individual, it's actually a service to God as well. You see, in this, we are building God's temple or we are building his church and this blesses God. So we are a part of something that is divine in that sense. You are making more strong and more beautiful the stones that make up the temple of God. Or think about the importance of community as we live in community as the bricks of God, as the stone of God. Like by yourself, you just a little brick, y'all, right? And I mean, that's cool, I guess, right? But only together can we actually see the magnificence of the structure. You see, no one ever praises a singular brick. You have never looked at an individual brick and went, man, that's dope. Right? It's when all of the bricks come together that the building provides both beauty and purpose. Don't miss that. It's when we are all together that the building, the church of God, provides both beauty and purpose. The church is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many, we say. And so this uh, analogy of stones actually has crazy implications, and we can lay it out in multiple different ways. There's something beautiful that's happening here. As you unfold it, there's more and more revelation about who we are in Christ. And so part of your coming to Christ, as you come to him, even as Christians, as we continue to come to this Jesus, you are the temple of God, and God is inserting you into his building for his glory. In other words, your salvation family was not just a get out of hell free card, right? Like there's beauty being done in you and there's beauty being done through you more than what meets the human eye. Peter goes on to say that we are the new priest of God. A priest had access to God to teach the community about God. I don't think those two sentences combined with us either. (laughs) right? You are a priest of God. And the priest of God had access to God to be able to teach people about the glory of God. You get this privilege of proclaiming God's glory to others. You have this access to be able to equip the church for the glories that God has prepared for us. We'll talk about that a little bit more in chapter four, but this is crazy and has wild implications, y'all. In fact, Juan Sanchez, he's a pastor, uh, he says this about this section. He says, the temple was the place where God had promised to meet with his people. There the priests represented God to the people and the people to God, and together, priests and people represented God's rule to the world. Leave that quote up there for a second. Look at what is being said here, and I I love this. The, The temple was the place where God promised to meet with his people, You are the temple of God, meaning God's promise is now to also meet with you, family. And not only are you the temple of God, they're they're priests of God interacted inside of that temple. And what happened was they represented God to people, and we get that privilege now. And the priests actually had face-to-face contact with God where they were blessed and they were able to teach others about God and together they showed the world the goodness of God, which is what we do as the church of Christ. 
There's all these beautiful truths in just this section. And there's a ton of implications for just these two analogies, but this isn't the only two analogies that Peter gives. Real quick, I don't wanna expand on all of them because it's actually what he does throughout the rest of the book. But I do wanna look at some of these other identities of what is true of us if we have placed our faith in Christ. He goes on and he says, you are a chosen race in verse nine. I mean, there's like a hundred things I want to say about that section. It's another sermon for another time, (laughs) all right? Uh, But think about the implications of that, family of God. As a diverse church, I think it carries even more for us as we desire to see our diversity and unity highlight the beauty of our God. It says, you are a kingly priest or a royal priesthood. In other words, you now are operating both as kings and queens and priests of God. Man, I'm going to need some worship, yo, or else you ain't hearing what's being said, right? You are kings and queens of God. I don't know why I'm standing on this thing. This ain't even our church. My bad, all right? Right? You're a royal priest, a holy nation, he says. Like us, the church of Christ is now the holy nation of God. You, Christian, are a holy nation. In other words, all of the promises and the, the affection that God had on Israel as a nation is now placed onto you. So all the beauty of the Old Testament now applies to us because of the work of Christ. We are a people for God's possession, he says. That word possession is the same idea as portion. And you think about it in terms of like a pie. If you say, hey, what portion or what piece do you want? That's the idea of possession here. And so when we look at the pie, God says, I want you. If you are a believer in Jesus, God looked at you and said, I want you. This is beautiful in its implication. You are the slice that God wants. Even though you do not deserve this, God desires this, and therefore you are his. Hallelujah. Once you were not a people, it says. Now, this isn't really true, right? They were a people. It's not like they were animals and then they converted and turned into humans, right? And so what is Peter saying here? Peter is saying that your former identity, your significance, it was temporary at best. You see, some of y'all had no identity, is what he's saying. You were just kind of living, you were nobodies, is what he's saying. Some of y'all, you had a little bit of earthly identity, but that only lasts for so long. And now you are a people that is eternal, the the people of God. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had no mercy, and now you have God's mercy, beloved family. You have the mercy of God. Peter is laying identity after identity after identity here, family. And all of these identities, they they have implications. And I do want to talk about them a little bit today, but Peter really spends the majority of the rest of the book hitting on these identities as well. So we'll, we'll dive in and out of them as we carry through this series. But I want to focus on, hey, if this is true of us, if we truly have these identities, then what does this mean for us, okay? And the question for today is, hey, is this true about us, right? Or maybe a better way of asking that question is, do you believe that this is true about you? Do you believe, right, that these things that we just said are true about you? Do you really believe that this identity that has been proclaimed over you because of Christ, 
Do you believe that it's true? It may seem like a really simple question, but what you believe about yourself, it matters. Because what you believe about yourself is often what you will then go and do. And Peter can't help but lay on us over and over again who we are in Christ. Because before we get to the tough things that Peter wants us to do, Peter reminds us the beautiful truth about who we are. And it's important that we believe that. And most of us, we don't actually believe those truths because we don't really apply them into our life. And to be quite frank, that's actually really hard to do. I think one of the reasons why we may not believe that these identities are true is that we do not spend enough time meditating on the realities of these identities. For example, priests should not get access to God. You should not be allowed into the presence of God. No one should be able to come into the presence, and yet you and I get clear access, though by a show of hands, who in here is a Levite? Yeah, that's what I thought. None of us, right? And yet you get access to God. Like, do you really think about this? Like, genuine, I'm really asking that, okay? Like, do you really think about this? Do you think about the implications of this? Maybe your application today is really simply to spend time meditating on these truths and what they mean for your life. Like, even personally, this was actually a really, really hard week for me. And there were multiple things that happened, probably like nine different things where one of them would have been like, man, that sucks. And there was like nine of them. And to be honest, I was feeling this weight and this burden and this pressure and this frustration and this weariness and this sadness and all of these different emotions. And then I went to the household of God, which is myself in irony, as he dwells with me and I got access to God And Jesus was there, y'all. And Jesus answered, and Jesus gave vision. And listen, if I forget who I am, I'm not gonna go to God. I'm gonna go to something else. And so maybe the application is that we meditate on these realities. Listen, Jesus answered me not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And if you are a Christian, then this is true of you as well. And so Christian, is your soul weary? Is it idolatrous? Is it in sin? Is it wounded? Is it asleep? Is it fearful? Is it broken? You are a priest. You are a temple. Go to Jesus. We don't walk in our identity for many of us because we don't actually believe this identity, because we don't even reflect on the realities of this and then therefore live as if these identities were true. And so this could be one reason that we don't get hype around this stuff is because we don't really meditate on what this means. I want us to meditate on it, though, and think about the realities of that. Or maybe we don't resonate with this. Another thing is that maybe we just feel too sinful, right? Like like we're not worthy of these titles that God is placing over us. Well, you're right, actually. As Yusuf mentioned last week, you are too sinful. You are not worthy of these titles, but Jesus... No, look, okay, that deserved a praise dance in the middle of that aisle right there, right? But Jesus, Jesus, the Holy One, makes you holy. Listen, Jesus gives us a new privilege and a new title. Jesus, the righteous one, gives you his righteousness. Like the beautiful one cleanses you and then makes you worthy. The awesome creator created these new identities and realities in you. You are not worthy, 
but you are worthy because of Jesus. Jesus, y'all. Something about the name Jesus. Look, something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name I know. Y'all are like, I don't know what y'all doing. Y'all need to listen to more gospel music. That's all I need to do, okay? <laughs> Look, either, either family of God, you are too sinful to have these things be true about yourself, and therefore your sin is stronger than God making your sin God, or God is God. Those are the only two options, okay? And so he can cleanse you, he can make you new, he can help you live holy because of his mercies, family. Listen, if you think you're too sinful for this to be true, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And throw it in there, exactly where Satan's going to. The application for some of us may be to confess that we don't walk in these identities because we're allowing sin to define us rather than God to define us. Do not allow sin to define you, family of God. If you are in Christ, you have a new reality. There could be many reasons why this doesn't connect, but it just because it's hard to believe doesn't make those things any less true, y'all. Did you hear that? Just because those are hard to believe does not make that any less true. Just like the scriptures are hard to understand morally at times, as they call us to standards that our modern culture might reject, it doesn't make the scriptures any less true. Or just like the scriptures are hard to believe theologically at times, as they display to us these mysteries of God that are hard for us to understand with our minds, it doesn't make them any less true despite our lack of understanding. And just like the scripture proclaims this beautiful identity over us, it doesn't make them any less true just because we have a hard time receiving that beauty in our hearts. What the scripture says about you is true. Look, some of us, we might not receive this because we don't believe in the authority of the word of God. The scriptures proclaim this is true, so it's true. What this is saying about you is true. We are saved, the elect of God, as chapter one, verse one says to us. We are the holy people of God, set apart. We are special, now pure in him. We are the new covenant people of God, walking in the promises of God. We are the temple of God, the, the place where God dwells. We are the priest of God, the intercessors for men, the go-betweens between us of God. You are beloved, you are special, not because of of any efforts on your own, but because of Christ's love for you. And for this, he is forever worthy of praise, family. He is forever worthy of praise. And so one sense, my question is really clear. Like, like, have you received this identity? Like, really, have you really received this identity? Have you received this truth about who you are in Christ? Look again at verse 6. This letter, it's wildly Christocentric because everything actually depends on our response to Christ. In verse 6, Peter says that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so everything depends on our response to Christ, our purpose, our identity, our future destinies. Verse 8 and verse 12 tells us everything is about Jesus. In verse 8, the, the stone, it says, that Jesus is the stumbling stone to many. And to those who reject Jesus completely, they will stumble and break. And so point blank, the idea of that is all of us are building our lives on something. And if that foundation isn't Christ's family of God, then those, and if those stones aren't Christ's church, okay, 
Like, like, you hear that? If our identity isn't Christ, and if the stones aren't Christ's church, then what happens is, is this building, as the winds of the world huff and puff, it will blow your house down. And you will have nothing by which to stand on. Jesus, he is either the stone of the salvation for us or the stone that will break us. And we have to respond to him in that. And if you have responded, then look at verse 9. God has called you to be his people for his possessions. In other words, you are God's now. You belong to God. You are his people. We are serving him, proclaiming him, thinking about him, because in him is life. We are building God's kingdom, and he is building us to be God's people. Maybe said another way, God is not looking to be one brick in your building. He's looking for you to be one brick in his. Shoot. Listen, if we do this, y'all, we receive life. Verse 12 says that our purpose is to glorify God or to help others glorify God. And we do this by displaying the kingdom and by proclaiming the kingdom. We display the kingdom by our love and by our righteousness, which is why after Peter gives all of these identities, he says, now put away the old stuff and live as a new creation because we're able to do that because we have a new identity. We're living in a new purpose and we're shedding the flesh. And in doing that, we become representations to the world around us. And then we are proclaimers of his excellencies, verse 9 says. Both bring glory. Both is how the world comes to know Christ. And our holiness and our killing of sin, it's showing that our kingdom is more desirable than this one. That everything that this kingdom has to offer, it falls by the wayside. And even when we do mess up and choose this kingdom over God's kingdom, we repent knowing that we are the beloved children of God and receive mercy. And we go back to that kingdom. And that is a witness to the world, y'all. That the world would see there's something greater that we have before us. And then we proclaim those truths about Christ because we want them to be in the family of God as well. Kind of like a good restaurant, you know? Verse three says, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, when you taste and see that something is good, you really want others to delight in that meal as well. Hey, invite them into the meal, Christ, to feast on his flesh and to drink of his blood that they would be delivered. There's honestly a ton here. I'm intentionally skipping a ton of stuff because we're gonna get back into it. But simply put, you have a new identity, family. You have a new identity. You are new. And so what stops you from believing this? And what stops you from walking in this? What stops you, family of God? Whatever it is, here's the pinnacle of the text for Peter. And he, once again, he he can't help but draw us back our full attention to Jesus over and over and over again. Like, like can we just worship for a moment, y'all? Listen, everything that is true about this text And everything that is true about us is because it is even more true of Christ, and yet Christ became the opposite so that we might receive these identities, okay? Let me explain that for a moment, okay? As I said, there are two responses to Jesus, and in verse 4, Peter picks up with an important response. We can reject Jesus, is what verse 4 says. Within this, what we're doing is we're trying to build our own temples and have our own priests. That's a false religion, Listen, all of us are religious people. The question is, what are you building? Right? Don't miss that, y'all. All of us are religious. What are you building? Okay? And so maybe success is your temple and your boss is your priest. Right? 
Maybe marriage is your tabernacle and your spouse is your priest. Okay? Maybe approval is your temple and cultural acceptance is your priest. Whatever it might be, any other temple and any other priest is not enough. All of it is Babel. It promises to ascend you into heaven and it falls woefully short, family. And so we have to respond to Jesus. But if we embrace Jesus, look at what Peter is doing in this text. We get all of these promises of Christ because of Christ's blood for us. Listen, we are living stones, the text says. And this will be on the screen, but I'm about to fly through it. Sorry, PowerPoint person. Okay? We are living stones. Why? Because Jesus is the true cornerstone is what it says here. Right? There's a, yeah, there you go. Boom. Right? A spiritual house is who you are. Why? Because Christ is the cornerstone. You are a rock or a stone or a brick. Why? Because Christ is the chief cornerstone is what it says. You are the house of God where God dwells because Jesus is the house of God where God dwells because Jesus is God. And yet now you receive this privilege. You are chosen by God, verse 9 says. Why? Because Christ was chosen by God, verse 4 and verse 6 says. Do you see how everything that is true of Christ actually becomes true of us as well when we believe in him? You see, your identity was not fought for by you or proven by your works. It was fought for by God and proven by his love for you, family. Man, shoot, okay? Listen, we are not a people, is what this text says. But Christ became a person that we might become the eternal people of God. We had not received mercy, but Christ received wrath, the punishment for our sin, that you and I might receive the mercy of God forever. Christ was the sacrifice, is what it says. Why? So that you can now offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Christ was perfectly pleasing and yet rejected so that we can have pleasing or acceptable works to God. Do you hear that family? Your work should not bring any value into the church or into the kingdom. Only the work of Christ lasts. And yet Christ's work was perfect, but rejected so that you and I who cannot produce good work might not find it in Christ's family. Because of Jesus, we are priests because the chief priests, as Hebrews calls him, Jesus gave up his life. The priest became a man that men might become priests of God. And this is beautiful. There, we should not have access to God, yet Christ suffered and died alone so that you and I can have access to God forever. The, the son was forsaken that you and I might become sons and daughters eternally secure in our king. You might get rejected at times by this world. That's what this text says. Sometimes they will reject you just as Christ, though, was rejected by man that you might be accepted by God. Now we get to walk like him and be willing to be rejected by man that some people might be accepted by God and worship our king forever. You see, what was true of Christ is becoming true of us because of his blood. Hallelujah. I need an organ up in here, y'all. Shoot. Jesus is good to us, family. Do you believe this, right? Do you believe this? I will tell you, I don't. I have a hard time really living in these truths, which is why I believe that before Peter gets to all the implications, he just pounds these gospel truths over and over and over again because he is pleading with us as a pastor who loves his sheep. Please believe this. And I am pleading with you, 
as a pastor who loves this body, please believe this. Please believe this. Fight to believe this. Because if you believe these identities, it will change everything about you. It'll change how you live. It'll change how you suffer. It'll change how you sin, which sounds crazy, but when you do, you'll know where to go and you'll turn from it. It'll change everything about us, family of God. And so in light of this, we now get to live as priests of God and we get to proclaim that to each other and we get to proclaim that to the world around us, y'all. I want to end my sermon the same way that Yusuf did. I want you to receive the gospel, okay? I want you to believe it in here, right? Y'all looking? Believe it in here so that it can impact here so that it can impact here, okay? Believe it in your heart that it may impact your head, that it may change the way that you live your life. It'll impact your hands. Holy temple of God, let us build up the church, Holy temples of God. You, the holy temple of God, the place where God has chosen to dwell. I want us to be building up the church. I want us to be building up us as a church and us as a church and bringing in those who do not know him to be a part of the church. That is what we get to do. Holy temple of God, walk in your identity You are the holy temple of God. Don't let my words just be words here. You are the holy temple of God. This ain't Tory talking. This is the scripture. Either it's true or God is a liar. And I don't worship a liar. I worship the sovereign, perfect, truthful God. You are the temple of God. Priest of God, would you walk in your identity as priests? Would you receive that identity as priests? You see, the rest of this series, Peter gets really, really practical how we do these things, but he hammers home the gospel, and I pray that gospel would be the nail that is hammered deep into your heart, family. You are the priest of God and the temple of God. Listen, I genuinely, genuinely love y'all. And as an aggressive aside, I look forward to several things that are happening in this church. And in some ways, I look forward to us fighting for who we were, right, pre-pandemic. And in some ways, I look forward to fighting for what God is making us to become post-pandemic. And covenant community members especially, we'll chat about that more soon. I feel like God's been speaking to me, to our elders, to our team. And I believe that God wants to do beautiful things. But it starts by believing the gospel, You are the temple of God. You are the priest of God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. Receive that family. I love you guys. Let's pray. (laughs) Ma'am. Hey, listen, with our eyes closed, I just want to say, ma'am, if you do not know Jesus in here, if you're wrestling with who this Christ is, if, if everything I said today sounded almost absurd or confusing or lofty or whatever it might is, I, I believe that what is happening, whether you realize it or not, is you are looking for a home. Come home. 
Come to the house of God. Insert yourself into the house of God. I know that stone might be messy. It's okay. So is mine. And God is cleaning it up to make us a magnificent structure for his glory. Hey, the house that you're looking for is Jesus. Build your life upon him. And Father, I pray for everybody in here who has made that profession of faith, who has said, I want to follow Jesus. God, I very simply pray, would you help us to uh, believe this identity and to walk in this identity? That's all I ask for today, Jesus. Would we believe it? Would we receive it? Would we walk in it? God, I confess it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard for me to receive it. It's hard for me to believe it. It's hard for me to walk in it. I just read these words on this page like I'm reading a dictionary. God, remove that trash. Would I receive your affection? Would I receive your love? Would that be true for everybody in here? Jesus, we love you. Please, Christ, please. I'm genuinely pleading with you. Please, Jesus. Help these beautiful men, help these beautiful women in this room, help them receive this truth. That we are temples, that we are priests, that we are now people. You're not a monster, you're a person. You're not abandoned, you're a child. You are not forsaken, you are loved. You are not hopeless, you have hope. God, help us to receive this. We pray this in your beautiful name, Christ. Amen.